0: We are live.
1: We are. It well, has well, been
0: everybody. a while since you've see, seen these two ugly fuckers together, but there we are. It is. I've
1: been in fucking two different countries and sick since last time we were here. So, you know, fucking mad things. <laughs>
2: They were super necessary.
0: Okay, okay. <laughs> you, you're very clear. So okay, that's no good. Yeah, you sound good. That's the main thing.
2: How's it going, guys? You all right? Yeah,
0: all very good. good, man. Very good. Good.
1: Apologies for the slight delay there. That's all
2: right. No problem at all.
0: Returned <sighs> the favour, so it's all right.
1: <laughs> How are you doing? You are you good? Very good. Thank you. Can't complain. Excellent. Um, I'm going to jump straight into it. Then we are already live. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, join us this evening. A um, pleasure real, real pleasure so i'm going to jump straight into it cage warriors just at the first show in italy yeah huge success what was that like for you to be the lead
2: role on commentary well that it's it's really difficult you know um uh yeah the event was fantastic uh but i've 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 been working with uh with cage warriors since basically i did one show in like 2019 i think Uh, But really, I started working with Cage Rose at the start of COVID. So my first real show with them, my second show altogether, but my first proper show with them um, was that first show, like the day that everything shut down. And then obviously since then, we've had loads and loads of shows through the Trilogy series. I think I've done like maybe 30 something events, 32 or 33 events, but I've always had old Brad Wharton has uh, <laughs> play by play and he's fantastic and he's just such a pro. He's so, so good. Uh, and unfortunately, he he got COVID uh, a couple of days beforehand. And we were hoping that he'd be kind of recovered and he would be uh testing negative by the time it rolled around, but it didn't. So my roles changed very dramatically and it is really tough actually. It's a really, really hard job. You've got to be really switched on the entire time Uh, when you're doing color or the grappling that I am usually doing is very laid back and I just let Brad do all of the work (laughs) but it was all on my shoulders this time. So it was a little bit nerve wracking. Um, And then we had Paddy with us obviously uh, he was already arranged to be with me and Brad. Um, and then with Brad going, it was going to be uh, we were basically me and Brad were going to do our usual roles. And then Paddy was going to be brought in sort of as an extra. Yeah. Uh, and then everything changed. And I took Brad's role and Paddy kind of took my role. Uh, but he was fantastic. He, he was really great. Um, I think he just excelled at that. It's hard to know when someone has never done that before. And, you know, Paddy's such an eccentric character as well. Uh, I had no idea how that was going to translate over to the comms, but it was fantastic. And the show was brilliant. I mean, the atmosphere there was... Um, it, w- it was really insane, especially for that main event. I said it on, on, on the mic on the night, but as the show went on, every single... Obviously, because we had this insane scenario where the Italian fighters went 8-0... So every single time they'd fight and win, it, it was like the dial was being turned up more and more and more. And I don't think that that main event would have been as crazy as it was, had they not have already gone undefeated that night, 7-0 and prior to it. And by by the time that they were coming out, it was just I, I've never felt anything like it.
0: Mm. Yeah. A big, big change. You know, you, you, you as you said, they usually got Brad and then it's usually Dan Hardy. So then you take his spot, and it's like now you have paddy as well. Like, well done for uh, you know, stepping up and, um, Cheers, and mate. doing it. Yeah, Good
2: I spot, didn't have mate. much of a choice, but <laughs> <laughs> it went, it went, uh, it wasn't perfect, but it went okay, I think. So, d-
0: d- did you get any any tips from Brad Gordon? <laughs> uh,
2: not really. Um, I kind of I've, I've, I've watched Brad do what he does. Uh, the thing is with sort of presenting is that like with most things, the, the, the if you do it really well, you don't notice it, you know? It's just, it, it, everything runs, you don't really think about it. And that's like most things in life. If it's done, ba- if you notice it, then you're not doing it well. So Brad just nails everything. He knows the timing for everything. He's got the spiel down for everything. Uh, he's just a real pro with 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 the presenting and the play-by-play. So it was just like me pretending to be <laughs> Brad and basically, and uh, I kind of just bumbling my way through it, yeah. Um,
0: so to sort of go off that then as you mentioned it was in Italy for you is the many places in Europe you would like to see um, Cage Warriors Octagon visit
2: yeah I mean Rome's a fantastic one for it Uh, obviously there's so much history Uh, it's such an iconic location anyway especially for combat sports I feel Uh, I, I mean I haven't this is the first international Cage Warriors that I've done I know that they've done a lot of international shows in the past um and but but obviously because I started during COVID they weren't traveling for quite a while this was the I didn't go to the Belfast one because I was working Polaris um but yeah I mean anywhere I don't know I think there's talks I I don't think I can talk too much about where they're planning (sighs) to go but there's talks (laughs) of going to France next year and I think that that's not particularly secret because obviously uh we've got some really great French fighters coming through and 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 and, you know the French fans uh, that follow Morgan around are just completely insane so i can only imagine uh if morgan's competing potentially for a title as well uh in in, in some point next year in paris it's going to be i mean maybe even crazier than the italian fans were um, for this one so yeah i'm expecting to be there and 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 uh i don't know in terms of places i haven't really thought about where i would like them to go to um, I don't know. I'll let I'll let them work that out and <laughs> and just crack on with it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, nice. t- they tell you where to go, and
1: you say, yeah, I'm there."
2: <laughs> yeah, pretty much for the most part.
1: Yeah. Um, so obviously, Cage Warriors has got really good record of of getting fighters signed to the UFC. It's arguably the place to be outside yeah. of the UFC right now. Um, if you had to name three fighters on the current roster who would be who are ready to be signed by the UFC, would you say they are?
2: yeah it's a good question and yeah you're right i think for for it's very evident that uh cage warriors is the main route to the ufc uh in europe um and i think they put like over 100 fighters into the ufc so it's kind of crazy and some of like the really big names obviously conor mcgregor and and more recently you know ian gary's doing great and obviously paddy Pimlet's doing great and all of these guys were uh came up and were champions in cage whereas prior i think the next event that we have in london with uh that unification bout with the uh featherweight title i think it is um is is going to be you know with with uh jordan vicenic and paul hughes those are kind of the two top dogs, I think, at the moment. I think both of those guys could would look great inside the UFC. Uh, and I think that whoever wins that fight, um, assuming it isn't like a razor-close decision again, uh, but if there's a, a really solid victor coming out of that fight, I think that that, that that they're probably being with a really good chance of moving to the UFC. Uh, trying to think who else is sort of super dominant. I mean, you know, talking about the, the last weekend... Obviously Don Wooden was hoping to get into UFC and it kind of made sense that he'd go to UFC because he just looked so formidable in his in his last three matches, his three matches in Cage Warriors. Uh obviously Martin didn't didn't think that, that was the case. And he wanted to try and steal that spotlight. And that's definitely uh, knocked him back a little bit, I imagine. Um yeah, I can't think who else off the top of my head. I think definitely the next one, uh, Jordan or Paul, I think they'll be looking for a contract. I imagine, yeah.
0: Yeah um so, so I to go on to something else then um, very close yeah and um, you're a bjj black belt under roger Gracie. how did that come about to train under him
2: well to be honest i didn't i didn't really train under him to be honest with you oh, um no. my uh, all of my training came under one of his black belts uh a guy by the name of nick brooks um oh. And he was my instructor from day one, basically. And he was, uh, he was graded under Roger. So that is how I was graded under Roger. I trained with Roger on a number of occasions and we were affiliated to him uh, for some time. Um, But that's, that's how the grading came about. So technically, I didn't really learn um, a huge amount from Roger uh, from, First hand experience, anyway. Um, I mean, I'd have trained with Roger and I've rolled with Roger a few times and got squashed and beaten up by Roger plenty <laughs> and kind of watched what he does and, and have taken inspiration from it. But uh, I, I'd never, I wouldn't have ever considered myself an, a student of Roger Gracie. Right.
1: Fair
0: enough.
1: Um, so, can you talk about the growth and appeal of Jiu Jitsu, particularly now with one championship featured in Jiu Jitsu bouts? That's obviously just going to increase that interest and growth in even more
2: yeah absolutely i mean jiu-jitsu is it it's it, it's been a very fast growing sport over the last decade and, and couple of decades but especially over the last uh couple of years to be honest with you which is kind of weird um because you know i did a podcast yesterday with a with you know a really world-class grappler and we were having the discussion about a couple of years ago a lot of people in the sport thought that this might be it like this might be over like during covid um there was times where it was kind of like a you look back and you're like did that really happen but there were times where you weren't allowed within two meters of someone and you weren't allowed to shake hands with someone and they were saying we will never shake hands again and you're thinking fuck me this is this is this is uh i'm not sure if i'm allowed to swear yeah okay great (laughs) um I've never done a, done a live podcast before, by the way. A <laughs> so, uh, first, uh, but 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 people were people were. Con- I was concerned if jujitsu would survive, and that actually maybe this sport would be completely destroyed. So that. What we saw was sort of the opposite effect when people were coming out of uh, the lockdowns, which was a massive boom in Jiu Jitsu and it becoming even more popular than it was prior. I mean, we're already at that stage relatively soon after everything's calmed down, but we are way bigger than we were prior to all of that stuff kicking off in the first place. And um, so Jiu Jitsu is always piggybacked on the success of MMA, obviously MMA was sort of, the UFC was designed as a showcase for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with the Gracie's originally and with Hoist Gracie and Horian Gracie. Uh, you know, it was just the most dramatic advertisement basically for, for Jiu Jitsu that they could have imagined. And obviously the UFC has gone on to, to be one of the biggest sports in the world, undoubtedly. Uh, so Jiu Jitsu has always piggybacked off of the success of, um, of, of MMA. Uh, it's a lot more accessible than MMA in terms of anyone can really train it. And it, it, it's it's relatively healthy compared to MMA, where, uh, y- you know, you can wear head guards, and you can spar light. But if you're getting bashed in the head, elbowed or kneed or kicked or whatever in the head or punched, it's not good for you. So there are a few people who will be put off by that. So Jiu Jitsu is the, as the as Jiu Jitsu means in Japanese, the gentle art, it's not, gentle sometimes but it can be a lot more gentle getting punched in the head is never gentle so it's a lot more accessible to the general public I think and especially for kids and stuff like that some MMA purists may completely disagree with me on that but that's <laughs> my take on it um and then it's 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 been like a fad uh for celebrities for a number of years but then recently in the last couple of years it's kind of gone crazy sort of everyone who is anyone Basically, if you don't train jujitsu, you're like a loser. You know? <laughs> like in, in the world of, of sort of A-list celebrities, there's kind of the ones who train jiu-jitsu. Uh obviously we have Tom Hardy who's not just training jujitsu but competing in jiu-jitsu which is just so, so cool. Uh, because those are two extremely different things. Uh, he's being so vulnerable, putting himself out there um, and competing. And I mean, he's probably he, he is probably in the process of doing more for the sport than anyone has ever done for the sport, which is kind of crazy. The biggest name in jiu-jitsu is a blue belt at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> which is the funny thought. Uh, but, you know, it's 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 been um, a fad for for I don't want to say fad because it, it implies uh, that, that, that it's something that's going to pass. And, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't. But it's been something that's been very popular, sort of disproportionately popular with high achievers and celebrities. I mean, I was listening to Joe Rogan chatting to Mark Zuckerberg recently about how he's got into it and he's in love with it and he thinks it's the greatest thing in the world, which is completely bonkers, especially the, the amount of power uh, uh, over popular culture and over society that people like that have. So jiu-jitsu is it's a, it, it's in a really special place. It's in a really... Um, interesting place at the moment and it's going to see what happens with that i mean like you said you mentioned one fc are really leaning into the jiu-jitsu side they signed loads of fantastic grapplers they've got mikey musha they've got um y- you know i think they signed ton obviously ton is fine there in mma as well i think they signed gordon but he's yet to compete in it yeah. um they have tommy Lanica. look basically loads of really exciting grapplers the Rolutos have competed over there so uh that one are doing great things and then we just had the adcc uh, adcc um th- th- that was two or three weeks ago that's the biggest event in grappling that is the olympics of grappling but it's been really taken to the next level recently by mo Jassim, who is the head organizer of that and they've just pumped a huge amount of money and and, and they've turned it into something that looks really professional. Whereas, I mean, I competed in ADCC back in 2011. Back then, it, it even though it was the biggest show in the world, it did not, if you had shown footage of the event or if you had someone who didn't know grappling come to the event, they would have thought, this is amateur as fuck. Uh, whereas if you, if anyone watched uh, the recent ADCC, this looks like a world-class event that it is. So big things are happening and hopefully there's a domino effect and it continues to pick up even more steam as we get more investment into it. More eyes on the sport equals more investment in the sport and then more investment in the sport hopefully equals um, more eyes on the sport. So hopefully there's a positive feedback loop going on and it just gets bigger and bigger and it's awesome. Mm-hmm yeah same same like
0: COVID and lockdowns just like starved everyone who was doing it and then yeah it does it was just just straight out and straight back to it yeah.
2: yeah it really it really did feel like that uh people I I mean I I definitely wouldn't I don't know I don't know I, I was going to hesitate to say that maybe lockdowns was good for jujitsu, but maybe it was I think so many people had like You know, trying to take the silver lining from lockdowns and from that that experience and obviously there was lots of really terrible things with a lot of people suffering really bad mental health issues obviously lots of people died so don't get me wrong I would have preferred it not to have happened but when those sort of tragic things do happen you do try and find a silver lining to it and I think for a lot of people who didn't suffer too badly um, it was sort of a moment for them to reflect and to become perhaps a little bit more introspective and to try and control over their health a little bit and to maybe start exercising a lot of people got into shape over lockdown and were able to continue that and then yeah like you like you said they were sort of caged up for a six months a year year and a half and then when they were let go they were like damn it i'm gonna t- you know i don't know when i'm gonna be able to do this again we might get locked up so i'm gonna go out and do whatever i want to do and try and stay fit and get fit and get new hobbies and stuff like that
0: yeah yeah
2: yeah and
0: um, so the next one where did raspberry ape originate <laughs> from
2: uh the, the 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 one question that i guarantee to get in every podcast is it? Uh, <laughs> so the okay i'll give you the i'll give you the truthful answer the truthful answer is that uh i used to just really like raspberries i mean i still do like raspberries to be honest <laughs> with you and i needed a nickname that was unique and if you search for it, nothing else would come up. And I really like it like as well. That. I really like gorillas. <laughs> <style>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that was basically how it came about. But it was also sort of ambiguous enough and intriguing, titillating almost, that people would always ask that question. It gave me an opportunity to make up uh, ludicrous tales two tales about where the name actually came from uh so i had i had many iterations uh back in the day before podcast got popular i'd get a lot of uh, written interviews for blogs and stuff when blogs were popular and, and podcasts weren't, uh, and I would come up with uh, elaborate tales that I would tell then. Uh And then when people start podcasting, I could um, usually I'll, I'll normally tell people the truth, like I'm telling you now. But occasionally, <laughs> if someone asks me in person and I'm in a good mood, I might spin spin a spin a, <laughs> spin a, a, a web of lies and deception. Uh, but then at the end, telling that I was just bullshitting them.
0: <laughs> What's been your favourite okay. elaboration? Then, I'm glad
2: you asked. Um, <laughs> so so <am> <laughs> the one, the one that I use at the moment. The one that I use at the moment is okay. I'll tell you the story, and you can see, you can, you can see if you can work it out. So the tale is that when I was a toddler, I was at the zoo with my parents, and being the inquisitive youngster that I was, I crawled and managed to find myself falling into a gorilla enclosure. Uh, obviously, everyone freaks out. This gorilla comes and he sees me, and he seems very, very interested in me. Everyone's freaking out; they're screaming. You know, you, something's going on. You know, everyone's there's chaos, there's havoc. They go and get the um, the park warden, and he comes with his gun to 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 to, to shoot this gorilla uh, in order to save my life. But then, a quick thinking member of the public throws some raspberries in and unbeknownst to him, uh, it was actually this gorilla's favorite treat. So the gorilla goes over to the raspberries uh, and is distracted by them and it gives them enough time and space to remove me without killing the gorilla. Um, and I always thought back, it was very imprinted on me. Um, and I, I always remembered the raspberry ape. Um, and that's how I got the name. And of course, that's an adaptation on what?
0: <laughs>
2: Come on. Harambe thank you very much i was gonna if you didn't get that answer i was gonna hang up this call right now yeah so it was, it was i just adapted the harambe story so that's my but but i'll tell that sometimes as it as, it, as if it's genuine and people will be like oh my god i can't lean in and everything like wow, what happened and then i tell them that it's, it's complete bullshit uh but there's been a few actually and and there was one there was like one mad one about um uh my great great grandfather in the Vietnam War and stuff like that and and they were ridiculous I mean if you'd actually listen to they were ridiculous stories and uh it made its way I competed on EBI a a few years back and they made their way onto that and they were like oh you know there was a countdown show and they were saying (laughs) his grandfather fought in the Vietnam War and I was like oh god no it's it's all lies
0: I (laughs) wasn't expecting it to (laughs) go that far
2: yeah exactly Can I ask?
0: did you ever get a call from Coldplay
2: from cold play
0: when you were doing adventure of a lifetime and
2: all that no 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 because no, have being no. featured in it <laughs> <laughs> i missed the trick
0: there
1: um so sort of to move alongside that then in 2016 you launched the raspberry grappling program oh um, yeah what He's was the
2: work <laughs> what was the uh what was the initial goal when you were launching that so I, I, uh, I started teaching, I've been teaching jujitsu since 2007. Uh, so I've been teaching jujitsu since I was 16 years old, a lowly uh, blue belt, but at the time jujitsu was a lot smaller and you could get away. As, <laughs> I don't know how I got away as a blue, a very skinny. I was about 55 kilos, uh, skinny, um, uh, blue belt, 16 year old. Uh, teaching adults and I started teaching there and I I think I kind of credit that for a lot of my uh, development in the sport and also obviously for my um, ability to teach now because I have a lot of experience teaching so I taught uh, a weekly class at a gym called Mill Hill BJJ um, which is now no longer associated with what it was originally it's still the same name but it's not nothing to do with us Um, and I taught a weekly class there. Altogether, I taught for 12 years straight just before I left Mill Hill in 2019. Uh, But I was teaching like one or two classes a week uh, for many years. And then in, yeah, it sounds about right, in 2016. Yeah, that is right. No, no, earlier than that. Maybe 2015, 14, 15. Anyway, around about that time, um, I... Was given the opportunity to start a full program. So instead of teaching one class a week, I was able to do a full Nogi program. And, and, and that was really massively game changing for me. It allowed me to actually make some money doing this, you know, doing jujitsu and teaching jujitsu. Um and it was a great experience and allowed me to build a competitive team. We were out there winning tournaments and stuff like that. And uh it was it was good times. And I I stopped doing that in 2019. I just didn't um, I, I didn't see any growth at the place that I was at. Um, and I wasn't getting any younger. I wanted to, to to do a little bit of traveling and focus on myself. I was focusing so much on the students. Uh, I wanted to focus on myself a little bit more. And um, so I left in late 2019 to travel. And then I traveled for a couple of months and COVID happened and I couldn't travel anymore. Uh, so that kind of was very <laughs> bad timing. Uh, at least I got like four or five months of traveling out of it before everything closed down um but yeah and then over the last over the couple of years that that kind of that wasn't something that we were able to really do and traveling still a kind of bull even now um yeah. uh yeah over that time i kind of like i'm not really interested in traveling i want to um get back to start teaching full-time again so i'm currently in the process of looking for a gym to open but it's very difficult there's very few in london north london especially there's very few uh available commercial uh buildings to, to start one but if you see any if anyone listening sees a nice big open space for me to rent let me know help you out. yes please <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so to come back to that same year then you mentioned it yeah. earlier you started the raspberry P- podcast um, Yeah, was the plan for that to always be a documentation of uk
2: bjj that's a fantastic question uh because that yeah you're right that's kind of what it became but there was no intention really with it uh the the reason i started the podcast was um everyone else was doing it <laughs> kind of, yeah but like <laughs> yes do you know what at the time there wasn't mm. there wasn't a lot of podcasts out it was something that was starting to pick up but there wasn't uh, much out there everyone was like thinking about starting a podcast but they hadn't done it yet uh and I was doing a lot of traveling at the time I was traveling around and doing seminars so a lot of driving and I um had a dog and I was doing for the kind of the first time and was walking my dog a lot and when you do these, you've got headphones on and you usually listen to music. Same way when, you, when you're driving long distances. And I was listening to the same damn music over and over again. And I started to get really bored of it. This is kind of wearing a bit thin. So I thought I'd check out this thing that I'd heard about called podcasts because I'd never listened to them before. And Joe Rogan's podcast specifically and a few mm. other ones, but mainly Joe Rogan, you know, even at the time it was one of the biggest podcasts in the world, especially if you're yeah. into combat sports and interesting topics like that so i started listening to joe rogan and i thought this is really cool i uh i I'd, I'd love for there to be a uk jiu jitsu based podcast so i had a look and there were i think there was one or two and i listened to them and i just didn't think that they were super great i thought i reckon i can do a better job of this so that's why i started the Rosberg podcast there was no real idea of what it was going to be i think sometimes um having goals and having uh a vision of what you want from something is really important and i think other times it's nice not to have that and it's nice to have just to plant a seed and just to let it grow and whatever happens happens and keep it really organic and that's what happened with the podcast which was I announced that I was doing a podcast. And at the time, you know, I had a, le- a small level of notoriety in the community being a very small, close knit community. Um, and people were excited. And I put the first couple of, you know, I started putting episodes out and, and people really loved it. And, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no experience <laughs> doing anything like that. You know, I, I, I could, I could talk, I guess I talked for many years, but you know, I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, and it just went from there. And we're coming up to, uh, I'll be doing my 100th episode in the next uh, couple of months, I imagine. But yeah, as, as you said, what started to happen is uh, I would talk to people within the Jiu-Jitsu community, interesting people within the Jiu-Jitsu community who I was close to, to begin with, kind of used up my immediate circle before I started to chat to, you know, DM strangers. Um, <laughs> but uh, what would happen is I would just say, you know, tell me about your journey And it started to become this documentation, almost audio documentation of the history of UK Jiu-Jitsu as I talked to all of these old school school grapplers who were around there at the beginning. And it did create this intricate web Um, which is just so interesting where you'll hear this guy will talk about going and visiting this gym and say, oh man, this guy was crazy. And then someone else would go, oh yeah, I was with training with him for 10 years. And then it kind of all of these uh, stories and all of these individuals would interconnect and integrate throughout kind of the very early days, especially of jujitsu, when it was a very small, close-knit community and there were only a couple of people doing it. So um, we still have episodes like that, where I talk to uh guys who were there very close to the beginning or at the beginning um and they continue to add to that documentation i I do love that part of it that you know hopefully jiu-jitsu continues to be popular for many years and in 20 or 30 years time when i'm sure some of the people who involved in the sport at the beginning are either no longer involved in the sport or have moved somewhere else or perhaps have even passed away uh but people will be continue to be able to hear those stories um from from the people who were there at the beginning so hopefully they'll you know assume that there isn't some sort of apocalyptic event which is very possible with <laughs> recent news uh, but assuming there isn't a pro- apocalyptic event that destroys the internet those uh, stories will be in the in the in the cloud so to speak for all time which mm. is pretty cool yeah uh, it's good
0: because you're not just documenting like just that individual's journey it's showing you the journey of jujitsu as well from then until you know recent points in time, you know, yeah. so you get to see the growth of jujitsu in the podcasts as well. Yeah.
2: And and I think what the most interesting thing is um, about jujitsu is that it's such a new sport, especially internationally. It goes back a little bit further. If you look at it, uh, kind of the start of it in Brazil, but in America and especially in Europe and the UK, you're talking about 20, 25 years is the entire length that the sport has existed in Mm. the country Mm. Um, imagine being able to like listen to an audio recording of like Jigoro Kano who created judo (laughs) or you know the people who started various other sports Um, there was just no opportunity for that depth of um, conversation and documentation to be made so we we we're just very lucky that jiu-jitsu was created in you know the sort of the 90s or well, came to came to the uk in the 90s the early noughties instead of in the 1800s mm. you know yeah. we're just we're just very lucky for them
0: um next one for you then uh we, we so they won't ask you this but we will we will yeah um has been some of your favorite guests on the podcast
2: great question i mean I, i've been very very fortunate to have a a huge number of really great guests. Um, And, you know, I always record them in person as well. So it's always a a true kind of human experience Mm. sitting down in front of someone and really having that connection with them. So I've been very, very fortunate and very lucky to be able to do that with a lot of great people. Um, in fact, there are very few people that I've had on the podcast that I haven't had at awesome, you know, but there are only a couple, <laughs> I definitely won't name names there. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, I've had like a really fantastic experience with, with, with many, many people on that podcast, almost all of them. And, um, but if I had to pick some out, I mean, there's been some great episodes. I, I had the second episode with Simon Hayes. He was episode three. Uh, the episode three was sort of like an iconic episode, the, uh, very, very early, you know, I had one of my best friends was the, uh, the conditioning coach was episode one. A good friend of mine, a student of mine, who's also my sports psychologist was episode two. And then I've reached out to Simon, who was sort of a very well known, very well respected member of the UK BJJ community for the third episode. And he just delivered this incredible episode um, about because he he's uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Simon Hayes. He's a black belt, Carlson Gracie, London. But he's also a uh, he was he was a. Competitive BMXer back in the day, and when he was a youngster, and he's also uh, one of the best sound engineers for movies in the world. So he's actually an Oscar-winning sound engineer. Um, so he just had some fantastic stories about how he started jujitsu. He, he ba- was basically introduced to jujitsu by uh, Guy Ritchie, uh, yes, the Guy Ritchie on a film set, and training with him, and you know, training with Jason Statham and guys like that, and then. Uh, he's massively into bulldogs and we were just talking about bulldogs and it was just like, it was just a killer. And I, I, I did a, a second episode with him just a couple of weeks ago. I think maybe one week ago, I released that. And I said at the beginning of that, I do think that actually that one episode had a massive, had a massive impact in the success that the podcast had overall because it was so great. So Simon was really fantastic. I've had, um, some fantastic people on really high level guys. Uh, one of my favorite guests, uh, Mauricio Gomez. When you talk about uh, the the history of UK Jiu Jitsu, he is the godfather of UK Jiu Jitsu. He's very well known for kind of as the godfather of UK Jiu Jitsu. He's a Roger Gracie's dad, and is the reason why we were able to get Roger Gracie in the UK. He started kind of the first. Uh, he really kicked everything off. There are a couple of other people knocking about, but Mauricio is just and And a very, very humble guy and a really um, a very charismatic character as well. And we did like a three and a half hour podcast and it just flew by and 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 that was you know one of the best. I had the crazy bastard that is Kurt Ossiander on. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Kurt Ossiander, but he's just a madman, and it was a mad episode and just insanely entertaining. Um, you know, to keeping it with the MMA. I mean, I have had some great MMA guests on. You know, I had Mark Goddard on. Mm. We we had a really really um, great episode. Uh, again, I think it's like three and a half hour episode, and and he and he spoke about some stuff that he said he's never spoken about anyone sp- spoken to anyone about before. Um, so that was a great episode. We got really deep on, on on a lot of things on that. And then the kind of relatively recently ep- recent episode that I had with Dan Hardy. That was one of my favorite episodes because Dan, um, we're just on the same wavelength with a lot of stuff and he's such an interesting guy Um, and it was martial arts and philosophy and history and everything in between. So that was, that's the thing I think the longest one ever did, which was almost four hours and I had to get off to somewhere. I feel like we could have chatted all day. So those are just a couple of the next, those are kind of the most uh, popular episodes that I've had. But I've had some guests on that nobody's heard of um, or, or that not a lot of people have heard of, weren't as well known uh, and even maybe haven't even been particularly well listened to uh, that, that were really great guests I actually had the, the biggest, the, the highest. Maybe not the highest, but certainly up there. But one of the most well-known people I had on the podcast is actually the, literally, the uh, least listened to episode that I had. I had a gentleman on a fantastic man called Sebastian Junger. Um, who it's possibly that it wasn't well taken up because he's not particularly well-known in, in sort of the martial arts or BJJ community uh, because we it was nothing to do with jiu-jitsu. I've had a couple of episodes that weren't to do with jiu-jitsu, uh, but not too many to anger my, uh, my, my yeah. <laughs> jiu-jitsu and MMA-based fan base. Uh, but but I heard Sebastian on uh, Tim Ferriss' podcast and Joe Rogan's podcast, which he's been on twice. He Have, have you guys heard of Sebastian Younger? Uh, no. So he wrote a book called Tribe. You might have heard of the book Tribe, which is a fantastic book, and anyone listening, I'd recommend to check it out. And he also did a, I think a, an Oscar-nominated or possibly won, documentary called Restrepo. He was he Sebastian is a or was a war journalist. Uh, and an author and a filmmaker and um, he's just an incredibly interesting guy and I got the obscene opportunity basically one of my fans heard me talking sort of gushing about him and, and the book on an episode and she was basically messaged him and was like do you want to call this guy's and he said yes I like, couldn't believe it so I chucked all of my mics in a bag and I went to this fancy hotel in London where we was staying and, and we sat down we had a great chat uh so that was a real honor and there's been a few episodes with people who uh were just kind of hidden gems people who aren't big on social media or aren't super um you know don't put themselves out there but someone's come and they gone, dan i know this guy or this guy's my instructor he's really interesting he's got an amazing story and i've never heard of him and i go you know what fuck it yeah go on then and then i have a chat with them and it just blows my mind it's fantastic so yeah loads of great episodes thankfully
0: yeah,
1: we know. We know all about that. Some of our more well-known guests, are like are least viewed on yeah. on the likes of YouTube and stuff like that. And you see, we'll get the local lads on who only like maybe people from Liverpool are, are yeah. aware of, and they've got these massively high views. But I think it's more what we found, anyway. Is it's they share it more than your bigger sure. guests really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so right, going to get. I we feel like it gets more eyes on it because of that. But the views for us, I don't know if, if you're. Of the same mindset is sort of inconsequential. We're just happy to speak to these people and get their yeah. stories and and hear about their experience within the sport and stuff like that. But now, I mean, looking at some of the people you had on earlier, um, on the podcast, I mean, some of the names are just phenomenal, and you've obviously clearly done a fantastic job at it. So I
0: appreciate it. Thank that you. The
1: hundredth episode is going to be. A, I'm assuming it's going to. You've got something special planned for the hundredth one.
2: <laughs> fingers crossed i've got <laughs> I, i've got a, i've got a guest in mind uh that's a little bit tricky to pin down but i'm hoping uh to that i have a I have a particular guest in mind for 100 so stay tuned for yeah.
1: that yeah yeah I can't like um so moving away from that a little bit then so you show some very unorthodox techniques on instagram so like incorporating towels and, and bricks into your workouts um what was your first experience of doing stuff like that or, or Is this just something you've? Yeah. Was it just a way to keep yourself active when you haven't got the equipment of a gym, say?
2: Well, yeah, great question. I mean, um, so I kind—I got into strength training, uh, like I mentioned earlier. I was like, I'm a natural. I was a very skinny, kind of weak kid, Um, and when I started training, there was no kids' glasses. So I was throwing in the deep end as like a 50 kilo, 15 year old uh, getting the crap beaten out of me every day by these adults. And i, I it's quite fun. I remember thinking um, this 70 kilo guy was like a giant to me. Now, I look at a 70 kilo guy now, like, I mean, and this is no offense to any 70 kilo guys. But I look at a seventy kilo guy as like, this is a, a very small human being that, that I will be able to just crush. <laughs> you know, <laughs> No offense to me, there's some great 70-kilo fighters and grapplers out there. But just, you know, it's not a big person. Uh, but I remember when I started training, I <laughs> look at these 70-kilo guys like they were 120 kilos, you know? Uh, and I remember thinking um, I'd get beaten up sometime because they were stronger than me. And I remember thinking one day I will be strong and I will be able to smash you And you won't be able to do what you're doing to me. Uh, And then I was, I was kind of given, um, I was given a book called Dinosaur Training by a guy called Brooks Kubik. And this became the Bible for me. I got it when I was 16 years old and it really sort of the dinosaurs that he refers to in the dinosaur training were the old school strongmen, And a lot of old school strongmen uh, were also wrestlers. So there was a lot really connected to what I was doing. And I kind of just absorbed this book uh you know cover the cover and um and started to integrate the 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 ideas into my training and as I'm reading it I like join a gym and I start working out and I start you know it's, it's just about barbell strong add weight you know just be a big strong fucker uh but he spoke a lot about um these chrome and fern gyms and and kind of these fancy, shiny gyms. You don't want that stuff. You want to be a garage gorilla. And I was like, you know, by the time I got to the end of the book, I was like, screw this. Uh, I'm just going to get some, you know, chunks of metal and I'm just going to lift them in my garage. And that's where it all started And at the time the garage was full of shit. And uh, I bought a thick barbell, 2.5 inch diameter barbell, which is massive. Uh, I mean, bigger now that I really would use for most or almost anything. I bought this uh, 2.5-inch non-revolving handle, no knurling, thick-handled barbell, and like 90 kilos of weights, and I just started working out three times a week doing the same stupid exercises over and over again, and I I had nothing, no equipment at all apart from that. I was uh, I was, I I'd, I'd take it out of the garage and I'd do it in the front garden, uh, off of cardboard boxes. Legitimately. My bench was just like a couple of stacked cardboard boxes and deadlift platform was cardboard boxes on the ground. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it kind of just built from there. And, and, and I was having to be really, um, smart sort of MacGyver in my way of having, you know, finding other ways to train. I had a, just a chain from, uh, from like b and q that i'd use and i'd put weights through it i'd use it as a weight chain or i'd wrap a towel around it so it wasn't cutting into my skin and stuff like that but then over the years um continuing to be really into all of it i amassed one of the most comprehensive and uh uh collection of strength training equipment specifically for grappling that maybe the world has ever seen uh so now i have you know every piece of equipment you could possibly imagine that it's spilling out of the garage uh, but i still kept that 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 mentality of finding a way to do something that sort of pragmatic problem solving has been something that i just love doing it's one of the reasons why i love jujitsu but i love problems Pro- there's nothing better for me than a problem i want problems what's that mean i don't want solutions i want problems but it's like that uh but physical problems especially i love uh, i want to find a way to do it i'm going to get some duct tape and i'm going to get some sticks and i'm going to do this i remember walking into the the gym one day and we had uh kind of mats against the wall and there was a small gap and someone had dropped their phone down the back of it And I was like, there's no way they're getting their phone back. There's like a a, a two inch gap there between the window. It's gone forever. And I walk in there. I'm like, okay, this is my dream. So I'm like getting coat hangers and plastic bags and sticks and duct tape. And I'm making this thing and I'm going down there, that sort of stuff I love. And I kind of never lost that ingenuity side of it. So even though I have a lot of equipment, you can either, you can take things that aren't designed to, to, to be trained with and you can find ways of training them where mm. you can take things that are designed to be trained with, and you can find even more expansive and interesting and intriguing and challenging ways of doing it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where my, my strength training journey has been. A lot of the stuff that I post with bricks or with towels and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, towers is super useful. I use it kind of all the time. Uh, but it's also content that people like because not a lot, a lot of people don't have the, you know the the massive resources in terms of strength training equipment that I do, so yeah, I just uh, keep it keep try and keep it fresh. Yeah, yeah. I think um, right I mean, now so... as well
1: with the cost of living and everything, like incorporating these kind of things is going to be mm-hmm. really useful for the people going forward as well. So it, it's giving people options to keep up the training if they maybe can't afford to. Have yeah, that's job. it.
2: And and you know, a massive part of it is, I think a lot of people people will try and find excuses. Uh, not to do stuff. And I think uh it could be a a, a a kind of a hole that a lot of people fall into, even not on purpose. Uh, but you might think, oh, I don't have I don't have money to afford a gym or I don't have time to go to a gym or, you know, I've got to be home with the kids and I don't have equipment. I can't afford kettlebells or I don't have kettlebells or I have no space to put them. I go, fuck it, get a rock. You know? get a fucking rock and a sledgehammer a one uh, uh, resistance band and you're good to go. You can train, you know, like go into the woods and, and, and pick up logs. Like there's really just, th- th- there is no excuses. And and you see um, it's very easy for me to say when I have all of this equipment, but, um, but there was a time that I didn't have that equipment. And I think it's just trying to show people that you, you, you don't need anything to be able to train. You can, you can, like, anything that you have, you can find. I'm trying to find, like, like a cardboard. This is a box for my thing. You can get something like a cardboard box, and you can train your pinch grip on it, or you can get uh, anything. You can get a microphone stand, and you can use it to train your wrist. So uh, I'm just trying to go, despite what your situation is, there is no reason that you can't get some sort of training out of it. As in, Not as ineffective, but as as, as as minimal as that may be. You could do something, and I think it's a really important message.
0: Yeah, I found myself today, the They like, had a little laser band awareness, thicker as the one that you did, but I was doing this with it, it a little tiny thing. But it, you still felt the resistance in your wrist. So, yes, yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah, exactly. That it's a great example. Yeah, there's, there's a. People think if 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 you're not doing the most efficient thing, uh, then don't bother doing anything at all. This all or nothing mentality. Now, if you can do that. Look, If you want to be a pro athlete, if you want to be on a a championship winning grappler, if you want to do anything to the highest level, then you need the best resources. You need to train in the most intelligent way. You need to do everything spot on. Ninety nine percent of people are not in that situation. So don't try and take don't don't think that you have to uh, train with the resources that a professional athlete needs to train with in order for you to get improvement. Any improvement is better than nothing. Always be looking to improve. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's a great message as
0: well. Mm. Um, so the next one, um, you have some incredible athletes join your career. Um, you've competed at the best events against the best. What was your proudest moment of your competitive career?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been very fortunate um, to, to to compete in some great shows, and hopefully, we'll compete in many more. Um, the, 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 there's two that really come to mind, and they have two very, very different uh, situations. One was a tiny, not tiny. It was very significant in the t- at the time. Uh, it was an MMA show called uh, Lockdown, Lockdown FC, uh, in Stevenage, just north in in Hertfordshire, just north of London, and it was an MMA show. Um, we're talking. 10 years ago, I'd say. Or maybe a little bit more, 11 years ago. Maybe more. I was at uni. Uh, but it was an MMA show, and they 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 were running a winner-takes-all, 1,000-pound, eight-man grappling tournament. And I was teaching at this MMA gym that was setting it up at the time, and they were like, they were basically going to make a tournament for me to win. I was like, this is <laughs> fucking fantastic. This is brilliant. So I was a purple belt at the time, about uh, 75 kilos, and I was doing – all right in 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 competitive grappling uh and they got a load of people in i was like yeah i could probably do this and at the time there weren't a lot of shows doing this there weren't a lot of shows offering that sort of money and putting that big of a platform behind it sort of taking that mma money and putting it into grappling so these purple belt grapplers that had signed into it were dropping out and then mysteriously their black belt instructors were taking their place. And it very quickly went from a tournament that I should be able to run through. Okay. To Holy shit. I can't win this tournament. This is ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a 75 kilo purple belt. Uh, I'm all right, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm some not black the best belts in the now. country, <laughs> but, but, but they're like this guy is incredible this guy is world class this guy is uh you you know competing in the USA. It, it it just became this insane lineup uh and it's the first tournament that i've ever competed in and, and, and i'm very open about it, that i did not think that i had a chance of winning which is a terrible attitude to have when going into a tournament <laughs> but uh as I probably wouldn't be talking about the story if it didn't go well, Uh, but it ended up going very, very well. And uh, I came out there and I won my first match. And then, you know, I won my second match. I was like, Holy shit. This is like, and, and sort of the brackets, uh kind of just worked in my favor there's a little bit of luck and and a little bit of skill I will also mention that I for some stupid reason whatever I came out to like the opening ceremony in a Mexican wrestling mask and a cape so (laughs) generally not what someone who doesn't think they're gonna win a tournament is gonna wear maybe that was me kind of stacking I go oh don't think you can win it let's put all of the pressure on you by looking like an idiot so I came out with this Mexican wrestling mask and a cape Uh, And it was under 85 kilo open belt division. And I was like the smallest and and lowest grade there and ended up winning the entire thing. And that is a moment. I would say it's about 11 or 12 years ago, really a long time ago when I was a purple belt, I've been a black belt for eight years now. Um, And the feeling of, of winning that I'll never forget it to the day I die. um, Almost a dreamlike feeling really kind of insane. um, That, this sounds mad, but I remember vividly what I thought when I had my hand raised and this was not like a, I mean, it was, it was, it was well-produced. It was a small MMA show, you know? So, but, but nothing like I'd ever felt before because I'm used to doing grappling in a sport hall. So it was that this big step up in the cage adds a lot of intensity as well. There's cameras, there's lights. It's just more professional than anything that I'd ever done before. And I was very young and early in my career, but I had my hand raised and the feeling was so so good I remember thinking I hope someone just shoots me in the head and kills me right now because this is the best <laughs> that I remember thinking it's a very strange thing that, to think but I just it was a weird thing and that's kind of why I remember it but it was this insane high it's very very difficult to describe and I was kind of in shock afterwards as well I remember I was going around and people were congratulating me and I was like I can't believe I won. I can't believe I won. And this went on for hours. Like someone gets knocked in the head and keeps repeating the same thing. So that is a very, very special tournament for me. That was like the first event that I came out as the Raspberry Ape. And it was like, kind of kicked everything off for me. I was at university at the time and and winning that tournament made me quit university. Basically, I was like, I want to do this more and I don't want to do anything else. So that was a massive moment for me. um, And I'll never forget that. And then the other one is when um, I, I did the first ever uh, i was very fortunate again to be involved in the first ever team grappling event which is called quintet uh, lots and lots of variations of that have now come out of that but that was the original team grappling event um it was run by uh i i got sent a message saying, do you want to be part of a um team grappling event i go hell yeah that sounds awesome they go "It's being it's being run by sakuraba sakuraba legitimately my hero uh in 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 just my hero in general like number one top of the top uh and i was like you're fucking kidding me 100 percent. and they go it's going to be in japan and i'm like i've always dreamt about competing in japan i was a big pride fan back in the day uh, when i first got into jiu-jitsu my, my goal was to um compete in mma and then i just kind of went down the jiu-jitsu path but of course when i had these ideas and fantasies of competing in mma i wanted to compete in japan So there isn't a lot of grappling that goes on in Japan or there wasn't at the time anyway. So I thought that that would probably be unlikely to ever happen. So when I was given this opportunity, this massive show on UFC Fight Pass run by Sakuraba, this crazy new team grappling format, and it's going to be in Tokyo, Japan. It was just like, this is insane. This is amazing. Um, And we went out there and we had this event And I had a great, I got a good run in it. I submitted to basically, it's basically winner stays on. So if you win the match, you stay on. And if you lose the match or if you draw the match, you're off. Um, And I I submitted two of the Japanese um, competitors and then something that I could not in my wildest dreams have ever imagined competed against Sakuraba. Okay. Yeah. 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 And even when I say it now, (laughs) I go, did I actually do that? Yeah. Uh, so, and I remember I, I, I took out one, you know, two guys that I really respected very much. And, um, and after I submitted the second one, you get like a 30 second or a 60 second break. I went over to my corner and my friend, David there, he, he goes, uh, it's Sakuraba now. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And then I had this, uh, I was in a really fortunate position at the time because, Basically, the way the quintet would work is if you uh, if you if you lose a match, you're kind of taken away from the team. If you win and lose, it, or if you draw one match, you're kind of neutral, you're not really giving anything to the team. And if you win a match and draw a match, then you've added to the team by taking out two opponents. So that was very important. You feel when you're in this team environment, you want to add to the team. <clears throat> so I was in a very lucky position where I had taken out two athletes already. And I knew that I wasn't going to get submitted by Sakuraba. So if I drew with Sakuraba, I could take out three guys and go, okay, I've done a job. I've done my job. You guys take out the rest of, of everyone else. Uh, so it put me in this position where I could really have fun and I didn't have to try. I did not want to submit Sakuraba. Uh, the guy said to me afterwards, man, you should have gone for it like, I could not do that. That would not have been as pleasant an experience. So I really could not have written this scenario any better. If I had to compete against Sakuraba first, for example, I would have had to have submitted him Mm. and it just would have taken away from the experience. I genuinely believe so. Uh, So I had this amazing uh, match with Sakuraba and it was just kind of completely dreamlike, insane, starstruck experience. Um, And then we won the entire event and it was the greatest day ever. So those are the two main events that I remember the most. One wow. was sort of the, the beginning of my uh, grappling career, sort of my coming out party. Uh, and Quintet was this insane kind of once in a lifetime experience mm-hmm. that I never even could have dreamed of uh, being able to do. So, yeah, it was really cool.
0: He just thought he was running the thing. Didn't think he got to compete well, against them.
2: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Initially, they said, "Yeah, they said he's running it." And then he—I mean, Sakuraba is just a madman. So he, you know, he just wants the scrap. So he, <laughs> they were like, "Sakuraba's competing." I'm like, "What the fuck?" And I remember i, I took like I, I i had a fan photo with him the day beforehand, um, and uh, and and I said like jokingly, "And I may get the fight him tomorrow." Never <laughs> would I have dreamed that I actually would have been able to, because sort of for that to have happened, there were many, many variables, the, the different combinations that could have happened with four different teams. The chance of me, if you'd work it out statistically, the chance of me going against him specifically would have been, you know, absolutely tiny. Uh, so the, the way that it happened, not just going against him, but going against him in a scenario where I could um, with good conscience, uh, not try and submit him and, and and just have fun and take it to a draw w- was just insane. And and, and then the, a couple of, w- I competed on another quintet um, afterwards, Quintet 3, uh, and before I, I stepped out, it, Sakuraba came to me with a translator and he, and he handed me his mask, uh, which was then a, a, another just insane, could never have imagined or dreamed, and it's like in my bedroom. Um, if they, if my house burned down, I'd grab my dog and I'd grab the mask, and not, <laughs> and not in that order.
0: <laughs> can I come full circle because you come out in your own mask at the start and then yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. I but did you,
2: catch that, but you're right. Yeah, you,
0: you did let me down a bit when you said you put your hand up. I was expecting you to go. Now where's my keep <laughs> uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I know, it's an it incredible story though um yeah and a, te- cool. a testament to you know yourself and how much you've worked and and being able to get to that level to then being able to
2: compete with your hero like i mean yeah I appreciate it, that Thank you get you. better no i mean it, it's one of those things where uh you, you don't expect to be able to do that you know i was just because Sakuraba was so mad and he's competed into his fifties his body's his entire body's broken you know i was uh, I was a teenager when I was watching him compete. Um, I, 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 but I never watched him and thought I'd like to compete against him one day. I just watched him and thought he's the greatest. You know, he's an absolute yeah. hero. Uh, to, to, to for the universe to line that up for me, I'll be forever very grateful.
0: Yeah. This type stuff in
2: mm.
1: um, yeah. So to to finish off, then we uh, always like to have a, a little bit of fun, getting okay. all you know a bit better. Okay. Uh, on a bit more personal level, so I've just got a few little random questions. To finish off are. with so uh nice and simple for you though.
2: So, first and foremost, what is your favorite film? Favorite film. So I've I've done, <laughs> I've done some uh quick fire questions before, and uh I just have it uh, no ability to answer anything quickly. So just, <laughs> just I just want to preface this uh segment with saying that if you want me to fire off very quick questions, you're talking to the wrong person. I just talk, <laughs> talk so much shit. Uh, It's basically like between commentary, teaching and doing a podcast, my job is basically to talk shit and I just do it. uh, (laughs) Unnecessarily. Uh, So, my favourite film, I would say, is uh, if I cancel out all of the obvious ones, Natural Born Killers.
1: Interesting choice, very much. so.
2: When
1: when you say take away the the obvious ones, what do you mean by that? Yeah, if you
2: were to take away like Lord of the Rings, and Casino, and stuff like that. Stuff that like would be universally mm. considered to be uh, some of the greatest films of all time. Um, Natural Born Killers is just like, it's a special movie for me, uh, Very and it kind of relates to, to everything. I watched that before when I was probably about 16 or 17, and I watched it the night before I did a tournament, and I went and I won this tournament. And that became a ritual from then on that the night before uh, every time I competed, I would watch Natural Born Killers. And then it was kind of trimmed down to kind of that scene of, you know, Mickey doing the speech and riling everyone up where it finished with Natural Born Killers. Uh, And I'd watch that before every time I compete. And I think I've done that every time I've competed uh, for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. No more than that. 15 years. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to throw X1 in, in at the end Because you've mentioned them a bit So okay. I'll do that at the end um, What's your favourite TV show?
2: Um, my favourite t- TV show Is a show called Nathan For You It's probably my favourite TV show And he, his follow up of that Is called The Rehearsal Which is also up there But that is Watch Nathan For You It's the best TV okay. show out there Okay. See, I'm trying to answer them quickly now, <laughs> but you're throwing
0: a lot of different unusual answers out, so it's like I've got to try uh, unusual
2: answers. I can't just go like, uh, what am I gonna say? Uh, Breaking the Sopranos, bad. You know, so Breaking Bad, Breaking
1: bad the, the and Sopranos. on. No, this is good, it's an
2: uh, educational
0: focus. Yeah, there you
2: go, there you go. I'm trying, I'm always trying to add uh, value right. to people,
0: yeah, <laughs> lovely, appreciate <laughs>
2: it. Um, wh- who was your favorite
1: musician or band?
2: Uh favorite musician or band. Uh, um, I don't know. Okay, uh, I'll throw some again if you take out the obvious ones like I really love ACDC and Metallica and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to see in December. I'm really excited for it. A band called The Who, not uh WHO, the H U. It's a Mongolian um rock band that combines Uh, sort of traditional Mongolian throat singing with rock and they are dope. So yeah, The Who.
1: Okay, that that sounds sort of throat
2: singing. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly, like that. (laughs) But but, but also, I love uh, uh, there's a lot of bands that i really like that are that just do the uh, traditional throat singing it's a powerful powerful uh, music to listen to the throat was the original instrument that we had and there's something that resonates deeply as a human sort of it boils your blood up it gets you ready for battle so go check out some uh, mongolian throat singing yeah I, I mean my, it's, it's, yeah. my throat hurts when just talking most of the
1: time. So how they do that throat
2: singing is beyond me. I know <laughs> and, and 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 it's amazing. They do uh see, I told you I got I'll, if you give me space, I'll take it. Uh they do like uh overtone and undertone singing. So uh there'll be uh, doing this very low tone and then they'll have almost this whistle above it and it it will sound like it's two people singing but it will be one person singing these two different notes and it's just uh it's ethereal it's beautiful it's magical and it it's, it's hardcore yeah check it out
0: why don't you do that do it.
2: <laughs> yeah it's just like a weird like it's something that you can do where you can you can uh, match the frequencies of two different notes basically wow Oh, yeah, I would I not try and demonstrate <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're waiting for <laughs> uh,
0: next one a random fact about yourself
2: oh uh, um random facts about myself uh I was on Ninja Warrior that's a pretty good fact I was on Ninja Warrior and Ninja Warrior asked me for facts about myself and one of them was that I can count to any number and they aired that any number uh <laughs> Yeah so ninja Warrior is good. Uh what other random facts are there? Um I don't know. I feel like every interesting thing or skill that I have I'm I'm very open about. So I'm trying to think of something I haven't already said. I don't know. I can do a Rubik's cube pretty fast like in a minute or two. Um, yeah, that's about it. And yeah, nothing yeah. particularly interesting. And I love Mongolian throat singing. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely.
0: we got like four there so yeah, yeah brilliant well, got, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: have you got
1: any hidden talents or you are they pretty much out in the open
2: well i just gave you the one with the <laughs> Rubik's cube uh uh no 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 my, i don't really have any i'm like Uh, I can't play any musical instruments. I'll get back to you on the throat singing thing, and that'll be the one that I'll try and get. Uh, I don't really have many talents. I can do stupid stuff, like I can do Rubik's Cubes or juggling or um, stuff like that, Uh, like party tricks, nail bending and card tearing, but it's all kind of the same sort of thing. I'm, like, pretty into chess, but I wouldn't consider myself particularly good, like maybe a two- or three-stripe blue belt, something like that. Uh, So basically... No, I have no real talents. Speaking <laughs> chess,
1: I mean, I assume you don't you don't cheat like this uh, whole anal bead scandal.
2: <laughs> I try not to. I mean, there's some extreme ways you got to respect someone. Uh... Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like you can't just drop. <laughs> you can't just drop <laughs> I don't the even cheating know anal beads. Okay, <laughs> so I'll just clarify what he's saying here, which is uh, there's there's a controversy in the chess world at the moment because it's uh, it's been basically someone's been caught cheating. Um, and if you want if you if you want to know uh why how they work out that someone's cheating it's uh, basically chess computers are incredibly sophisticated like unbelievable back in the, the times where uh a chess you know where, where a grandmaster could compete against a, a chess computer and it'd be competitive it's long gone chess computers are, are so many magnitudes of skill above anything that any human will be able to get to. Uh, But it means that you can work out, uh, you can see when someone is playing a move that doesn't seem to be at their level. If they play a a move or a sequence that is far above uh, what they should be able to do, then that becomes very evident so uh there's a lot of programs out there that can kind of tell whether someone's cheating by how they are playing on the board uh now the whole thing about the anal beads is that uh, I don't think there's any validity to that. I think that it it was just basically that the world champion Magnus Carlsen was defeated by this prodigy and basically stormed out and said, this fuck is cheating. And (laughs) they've kind of now said, yes, he is. But they didn't know how. So then people on the internet started saying that he has uh, (laughs) this uh, vibrating uh, anal bead uh, or butt plug that is telling him uh and and it, it's it's it the crazy thing is it's not impossible for that to be the case so i think they like <laughs> they've like x-rayed him like before games and stuff like that now because basically you'd have uh because i saw someone asking uh recently uh online they were asking like how would an would a vibrating anal b be able to tell you how to play chess like how's it going to communicate that information but very simply uh, if you have someone who's not in the room or is somewhere uh, basically putting the game into a chess computer and then had a way of communicating to them when they were in a winning position, uh, if that vibration happens, knowing that you're in a winning position, then you know what you're looking for and you can find, and I it, it can give you a really, really big advantage at that level of chess. So, uh, yeah. I mean, no, cheating uh, has just got so sophisticated, I, 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 like, I did not I didn't know it was
0: so fucking enough. sophisticated. At least. <laughs>
2: years it's, it's just ago uh, was, uh,
1: the major yeah. on who wants to be a millionaire coughing in the crowd. And yeah. now it's yeah. shoving, shoving something up your ass. <laughs> well,
2: okay. So, so, so like, imagine, imagine if someone had a vibrating uh, butt plug, which isn't even something particularly like it's something that exists. It's not particularly sophisticated. And there was someone in the audience who wants to be a millionaire with an iPhone and a button. And you could uh, say, yeah. and, and, and literally instead of a cough, which is very, very stupid and obvious, uh you know that the host reads out the answers and when it's the correct answer you press the button and your ass vibrates a little bit i mean i love the
0: demonstration of the vibration
2: (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i said like it would be a really effective way to cheat on something like that much easier than chess yeah
0: yeah definitely i feel like i've given
2: some people some ideas now
0: I was, I was going to say something, but it turned out to be a pun. I said, it can't be fast stretch, can it? But, yeah, you know, <laughs> obviously it can. Uh,
1: all the checks in there when you go to watch a, a game show. Now we're going to be so extensive. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to get there four square. hours earlier. Like, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Rubble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> End over. Uh, Cough.
0: <laughs> so from anal beads to what's your go-to takeaway order?
2: <laughs> go-to takeaway order. Uh, Usually, usually Sushi. I eat pretty clean, and um, and I, I, I basically I'm not a big fan of takeaways because a lot of the time they're full of shit and it makes me feel like shit. But if I have to, uh, <laughs> yeah, it will be, just
0: keeps coming into it now. Safe, <laughs> <like>. <laughs> so yeah,
2: prob- probably sushi or like a uh, some uh, like a Mediterranean uh, lamb and rice dish would do. Yeah, I'm nice. oh, still still quite clean. I like it. Um, <laughs> who would play you in a movie of your life? Oh oh god oh i have no idea uh oh that's such a good question i've never been asked that question before i have no idea uh i'd play myself would be the answer
0: <laughs> think we get that most often don't we
2: <laughs> oh really is that, is that <laughs> the answer okay well in that case i can't say that um I want who's my... uh yeah yeah he's a nice lot older than me i don't know if it works <laughs> yeah
0: I, um, you, you can pull off being being young, yeah. though, can't you? you know?
2: Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh yeah, maybe maybe a young Tom Hardy. Um I think you know, yourself to go down, so You can do your own stunts on that then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like Tom's a little bit uh he's a little bit too sort of solemn and uh and, and a little bit too moody to, to play me. I'm a little bit more <laughs> I'm a little bit more lighthearted. Uh maybe, oh god, I'm gonna I had to get back to you on that one. Yeah, what about like know. a me or not, I know he's a bit older
1: again, but you say a bit more light-hearted, but still action side. What about someone like Ryan Reynolds?
2: Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> and, and And Ryan Reynolds would probably look younger than me by the time I'm a little bit <laughs> older anyway. So, yeah, Ryan Reynolds would be great. There you go. Um
0: If you could choose any superpower, what one would you choose?
2: Um, It's got to be flying. Nice. Uh, it's got... Uh, I mean... If you like take away all of the physics of it, you know, obviously because flying would actually be a terrible superpower unless you had like the ability to not be affected by things flying into your face at high speeds or stopping really quickly or slowly. Um, but or if, lose, if you had- Losing your breath at high altitudes. Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so, so kind of all superpowers are kind of fucked. You need to have many superpowers that yeah. are sort of surrounding that. But you can't be flying. I mean, that's no. just the best. That's I
1: mean, best. especially if you love traveling like
2: yourself. There's nothing, there's not I mean I mean, the thing I hate about traveling is getting on fucking planes. So if I could just <laughs> if I could just fly over there. Um, and I always just think I just look at birds and I think you guys have a good life.
0: <laughs> yeah. pure, the only thing fr- though.
2: pure, pure freedom. Pure freedom.
0: The only thing those have got to change your name. You have to be like a Raspberry Eagle or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. the flying <laughs> ape. The, the flying like yeah, There you go. <laughs> planet, there you go. Brandon's already
2: there.
0: <laughs> um, and the last one I want to ask you because you uh, mentioned them bit. What's your favourite book?
2: Oh, favourite book. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big reader. Uh, I have a lot of books. Uh, too many books. My bedroom's uh, essentially I, someone challenged me to count them. I've got around about seven or eight hundred books. Like I mean, I, ha- I have a lot of books. Yeah. Um, I haven't read all of them. I hasten to add. Uh, I, the, uh, the, you're gonna have to give me some topics. Let, let, like, let's draw it a bit easier.
0: So, like, what three would you suggest? One for like mental health, one for fitness, and one for yeah. having confidence in yourself, or something.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I had to, if I had to sort of rattle off uh, a few books that I really like um, for, for 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 sort of strength training. I like dinosaur training and you can use that as a base to sort of explore a lot of the other old time strongman stuff like Eugene Sandoz books and George Hackenschmidt and stuff like that after Saxon, just talking about sort of strength training from a pre-steroid era where a lot of these guys are also wrestlers. And it's just like really interesting to see that sort of stuff mm-hmm. um, book books. that I really like um, I'm a big fan of, malcolm gladwell style of writing so um outliers david and goliath blink um uh, tipping point he's got a whole section of books and and i'll uh, basically read anything that he writes uh someone that i've been really interested in recently um or over a, a couple of years ago uh, is a writer called michael Pollan, who writes a lot about um food or well, that's where i first got introduced to him but i've read a load of books of his since then uh the the book that i read was called I think it was called cooked, something like that. Uh, but it's just a fantastic read on food legitimately changed the way that I looked at food forever. Um, and, and, and changed how I ate basically. Mm. Um, so, so Michael Pollan stuff is really good. Um, Oh God, there's so many books that, you know, that, that, that I could think of, uh, if I, if I had to go to nonfiction, there's a fantastic series. Um, I read almost exclusively not So, if I had to go to fiction, I read almost exclusively non-fiction books. Uh, but, but the only fiction book that I've read in the last twenty years, probably, or no, maybe not that much. But, but very, very rarely do I read a fiction book. Uh, it was a series called the Conqueror series by uh, Con Ingelton, uh, and it's about the Con dynasty going back to Mongolia first book is called Wolf of the Plains it's a five book series and it is just fantastic talking about uh Genghis Khan uh, as a child becoming Khan taking over all of the world basically and then his kind of the dynasty of his children and stuff like that it's this huge five book series and I busted this thing out at like an obscene speed um so, so that is really really great if you're thinking about picking up something just for entertainment uh, but it's also it's historical fiction. So mm. it's it, it, a lot of the stuff happens and kind of at the end, he talks about the things that actually happened in real life. Uh, so that's a really great book if you want something that's a, that, that, that's a really easy read. Um, yeah, there's you, loads of books. Yeah
0: your ability it's like recall things like and you have you read like a book on that because i struggled that all the time like recall and things
2: yeah. yeah it's actually quite weird um because i was having this conversation like really recently this is a really interesting topic that um just because it's so recent in my head um i was talking about something and i was recording some things and my friend said to me like how the fuck are you doing this how are you just like rattling off all of these things or like you're remembering all of these things about it. Um, and I was like, oh, I, I don't know. This is just like, this isn't normal. <laughs> and uh, so I think that I have a particularly good ability to recall um, specific things. They just mm-hmm. stick in there. A lot of them are useless. Uh, <laughs> a lot of them are completely useless. Like my, my ability, I was, I was working out earlier with a friend of mine and I've got like all of these different kettlebells and sandbags and stuff like that. And he, he trains with me every week. He has no fucking clue what any of these things weigh. Uh, I remember my two training partners, I, I was away one week and they came and trained and they were like lifting the wrong weight, and they thought this was <laughs> this way. And that was that. Uh, but I remember like every single sandbag weight to the kilo, uh, all of the kettlebell weights by color and by sight. Um, I like one thing that I got into when I was injured, I, I injured myself last year. I started collecting herbs. Uh, like teas, it's a really mm. weird thing. That's like an interesting trivia fact. Is that I really, I'm really into herbal teas, uh, but I have like fifty teas, and I can recall all of them by sight, uh, pretty much with 100% uh, effectiveness, having looked at them one or two times. Um, w- which is, I don't, I haven't. To answer your question, I don't do anything in particular to to hone that skill. Right. It's just something that I have. I, I don't know whether like trying to remember stuff makes you better remember. And I don't use any, uh, you know, some people will, who are memorized sequences or cards or stuff like that. Yeah. There's, there's like techniques that you can use to memorize, but I just, I just, it just sticks in my brain and it's yeah. most of it is fucking useless. To be honest,
0: with you. <laughs> you're just a natural born recaller. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like a <laughs> photogenic
1: memory or something is it maybe
2: it's it's is not pho- yeah i don't think it's photogenic i can't close my eyes and imagine it but like i think audio's there like i yeah. could it's just it's just in there it's a mm. weird one yeah, it's it's, yeah. It's, it's it's funny you pick up on that because it's something that i've been chatting about recently <laughs> um well that was that was everything we have for you daniel really
1: appreciate you taking time my absolute that.
2: pleasure that was really enjoyable Absolutely i've done fantastic so chat. many uh podcasts i've really done a lot especially over the last couple of years but i've never done a live one and you guys were like mma based so it's sort of not the same uh usual questions that i get so i really really enjoyed that guys thanks for having me on no we appreciate you time
0: it's
1: been an absolute blast and thank you so much um so yeah hope everyone's enjoyed it
2: daniel thank you so much again. Thank you very much to, to having me on, guys. And thank you very much for anyone who has listened through me talking nonsense for however long we've been going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you, mate. Take it Take easy. Care. Take it and easy, guys. This. Have
2: a good one. I'll catch you soon. Yeah.
0: This is the
1: greatest. I love
2: it. It were super necessary.